Welcome to Cinnamon Podcast. I'm your host, Vince Mund, back for a brand new show. I know it's been a while, folks. Uh, the last time we did a show was in the summer during the lovely convention of comics, San Diego Comic Con 2022. Um, while I did not get to go inside the convention, as per my usual, I still had a lot of fun outside, got to see some cool stuff, meet a couple of folks, and I really enjoyed it. But if you want to hear that, you can listen to our last episode titled Return of the Con. Uh, here on our feed. This is probably going to be the last episode for the year. I know I have not been doing shows as much as I used to. Um, part of it is simply scheduling, is work, and only again, as I've addressed before in several episodes, it's just me talking. It's me talking to the wind, uh, or really talking to you, which is nice and conversational, but conversation is usually between two people, and it's really just more me talking to you, and you being a very, very patient audience, and just listening. I did record an episode, actually, back in the end of summer with my parents, simply titled Marriage Story, but in the process of editing, I've had some issues with it because it's like a two-hour show, and there's stuff in there that I need to edit out, sound, and uh, distraction moments, and long gaps that I was trying to get out, and was having trouble getting out, and thus I lost the audio, so I'm trying to re- configure all that stuff and find it, but I should have that out hopefully towards the beginning of this next year. So hopefully in the next couple weeks, I can really just sit down, take my time, and dig up that file and just work on it. Just, you know, nose to the grindstone type stuff, work on it. But I figure since we're here, I should do one more show. I've got the time for it right now. And I want to talk about the last couple films we've seen. Uh, I don't know if you've seen them. If not, you should. If you have, that's great. Please feel free to put your two cents in the comments and uh, suggestions, what you thought, what you liked, what you didn't like, where you agree, where you disagree, if you think I'm full of shit, that's great, cool, tell me, please, please, please tell me, because I love, I love having opinions and I love the discussion of a movie. It's one of the best things to me about, have, about seeing a movie is that walk to the parking lot or if you go out for drinks or like dinner with someone after you see a film and you sit down and just talk about it. That to me is one of the best parts about seeing a movie, so... First, I'm going to address Marvel Studios' Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Um, came out back in November 11th. Went and saw it that opening weekend. Uh, Saturday show, actually. I did not see it in IMAX, unfortunately, which would have been ideal, but c'est la vie, uh, que sera sera type thing. You'll live. I'll live. And it should be coming to Disney Plus probably in the next, in the next couple weeks. So... Um, I enjoyed the film. There were bits and pieces of it that were fairly predictable as to what you thought was going to happen. Um, there were bits and pieces I did not see coming. And I know a lot of people have been complaining about Marvel Phase 4, not really setting up their new big baddie, not setting up where the direction they're going. It just feels like individual films again. And, you know, they're, they're calling it like... Um, a mid-Marvel film instead of like a high-Marvel film or a low-Marvel, like, like people, what's a low-Marvel movie? Oh, Thor the Dark World's a low film. Or Love and Thunder was a low film. Uh, what's a mid-film? Uh, like, uh, uh, what's uh, Iron Man is like a mid-level film. Or Ant-Man's a mid-level film. What's a high-Marvel high film? First thing I'm going to go to, Endgame! Or uh, Infinity War, Iron Man, ah! That's great. To me, a great Marvel film is one that is engaging, is telling its story, and is not feeling bogged down by world building, by not having to 
feel the obligation of creating more. And I know that was a big issue for Iron Man 2 when that came out in 2010. And a lot of people bitching and moaning about that. I know Marvel listens. is one of the few studios that listens to their fans and tries to deliver the best work possible on every single production. I know a couple of the guys who do work on their productions, and believe me, their hearts are in that work. Their hearts, their love, their passion. First off, for the material, for the characters. Always goes into each and every film. Second issue for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, is the fact that their lead performer, uh, Mr. Chadwick Boseman, passed away. That really kind of threw things off in production as far as what their plans originally were for the film and how they had to change them because of his tragic passing. Completely understandable. Makes perfect sense. No one can blame him. No one should blame him. And uh, writer-director Ryan Coogler adjusted as best he could amidst his grief and sadness of losing his friend. So, the base premise of the film. One thing I really like about the current Marvel films, actually, is that they just kind of start. Like, if you've seen Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, it just starts. you got America Chavez and Doctor Strange running from this creature chasing them through a multi-dimensional area. Um, Thor Love and Thunder starts out with uh, Christian Bale's character Gore carrying his daughter who is dying to this last kind of place of rest before she passes away in his arms. The movies just start. Wakanda Forever is no different. It starts out in the midst of Shuri attempting to recreate the heart-shaped herb to heal her brother from his sickness. They never go into what malady has, has rendered him such, what is happening in him. They don't show him, which I thought was wonderful. It's simply the emotion of a sibling about to lose their sibling. And as someone who is a sibling, it's a thought that crosses, I think, every, everyone's mind who has a brother, sister, what have you. Someone close to them. Even if it's a best friend who's like a sibling. And you, if you've lost that person, it hits you, that feeling. So, to start the movie like that with just immediately jumping in of her trying to save him and that guilt of not being able to, with all her knowledge, with all the technology she has, she could not save her brother. And that was the tragedy and that was the weight on her. And that's what made it so good. At least to me, that's what I thought. That's what made it so good. Um, <clears throat> so, from there, the film goes forward into the threat of, of Namor coming from Atlantis into Wakanda and seeing that all the things they have, that they could work together, and if not, he will simply destroy Wakanda. Uh, his kind of whole intent, destroying the surface world, which if you've watched, uh, if you've, wow, uh, sorry. If you've read any of the comic books, you know that Namor has a big issue with, uh, with mankind. So it was no surprise there in what they were doing. And I thought that was great. I loved his characterization. My only issue I had with, with that uh, part of the story is the naming of Namor. Like, his character name in his own people, to his own people, was Talokan. Um, but the way they gave him the name Namor was a Spanish name as a child who went through tragedy, and thus they call him the child without love. So no Amor, no love Namor. 
that was the only issue I had with the film. Other than that, I thought it was beautifully done. The characterization, the setting up of people, of tribalship, of pain, of loss, um, and having to push through it, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was beautifully done. A good tragic film. And if you know anything about this show, you know I'm a sucker for films, and I cry in a lot of them. Uh, so yes, I was bawling my eyes out <laughs> at, at, at this film within the first 10 minutes. Just the first 10 minutes of understanding what was going on and what it meant. The Marvel Studio logo, um, if you pay attention to that as it comes up on every film, they do tweak it, they add in new things. So if you look at it, they've added in the characters of Moon Knight, of Miss Marvel, of She-Hulk, of uh, any of their shows from Disney+. Plus. They've added those in to the Marvel logo. But for Wakanda Forever, they simply did a nice tribute. They put no score over it. It was completely quiet. They had toned it to purple. And it was a dedication simply to Chadwick Boseman, which they had revealed um, on Disney Plus uh, after his passing in 2020. I thought it was beautifully done. I had a feeling they would do that and put it on a film. It made sense to do on Wakanda Forever. And that I really enjoyed. Really, the standout performance in the movie was Miss Angela Bassett as uh, Queen Ramada. Her performance, I believe, is probably going to garner her an Oscar nomination, and rightly so, because it's one thing to be a, a sibling who loses a parent, or to be a child who loses their parent, or who loses their sibling. It's another thing to be a parent who loses their child. Um, if you pay attention at all to certain quotes in movies, one of the greatest ones that sticks out in Lord of the Rings is King Theoden talking about burying his son and simply saying to Gandalf, no parent should have to bury their child. And that is a very true, true quote. Obviously, a lot of parents of soldiers know exactly what that may feel like in one way or another. And the same thing can be translated and felt reciprocated in film in the way something is written. Her performance, Angela Bassett as the Queen, is wonderful. It's strong, it's heartfelt, it's empathetic, and it's heartbreaking at times. Um, I loved it. It really was the standout of the movie. So, if you have not seen Black Panther Wakanda Forever, I do recommend go see it. It's worth it while it's still in theaters. If you're one of those people that waits for the streaming, fine, wait for the streaming. I will iterate, please do not pirate films. I know people still do it. Once a digital copy goes on the streaming, people pirate it, and they just watch it wherever, here, there, and everywhere. Please don't do that. You are hurting an industry. I know you think it's just millions of dollars and the money comes from you know, the sky or falls out of someone's asshole. It doesn't. That revenue comes from your ticket sales. You're paying for a streaming service. Helps fund the next film. So again, please do not pirate these movies. They're too good to be watched so cheap. <clears throat> Next film I went and saw that I thought was really fun, The Menu, um, starring Ray Fiennes, uh, ooh, what was her name, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Nicholas Holt, and Hong Chao. Hong Chao is really, to me, was the standout of this film. So The Menu is about a group of people who are invited to a private dinner on a remote island, a little Jurassic Park-y, isn't it? On an island, um, each 
seat is $1,200. And there's about, you know, two to three people per table. Um, so it's a fair amount of money. It's about six or seven tables. So it's a good amount of money. Each person, though, was invited there for a specific purpose, for a specific reason. All hosted by this renowned chef played beautifully, almost menacingly at times, by uh, Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes, as you may more recently remember, played Lord Voldemort in the Harry Potter series. Also played Amangoth in Schindler's List and the <coughs> foretitled English Patient in The English Patient. Um, a wonderful actor. He gave a great, great performance of a little bit of empathy, humor, dark, dark fucking humor. This movie's a dark humor film. Very dark, a little thrillerish, no jump type of scares. It's not really a horror, it's a thriller. It's suspenseful, and that's what I liked about it. He gave a wonderful performance. But really, to me, the standout of the film was Hong Chao. Now, Hong Chao, excuse me, is a Vietnamese actress who I remember and was reminded, actually, recently that she started out as a bit player and even had a small character on How I Met Your Mother in 2010, Ooh, somewhere around there, yeah, about 2009, 2010. She was on, on an episode of that. You may know her a little more recently from Watchmen on HBO, not the movie, but the series, as Lady True. And she also recently is appearing in Aronofsky's film The Whale, opposite Brendan Fraser and Sadie Sink. Um, I think she's playing Fraser's uh, at-home care nurse in that film. So Hong Chao is really like an upcoming, rising, rising star. I mean, and really, righteously so, because she has amazing fucking talent. And she's great in the menu. So the movie's about, about again, like I said, these people invited to this private dinner, um, invited for a purpose, uh, which is revealed to them as they sit throughout. Now, prior to, well, not even really prior, the majority of my, at least half my life, I spent in restaurants. Fine dining, casual dining, fast food, banquet, hotel. I've done pretty much everything. Catering. Yeah, I've pretty much done everything you can do in food industry. From busboy, dishwasher, to manager, inventory, co-owner, operator, all that fun shit. The menu is no exception. Uh, it is done the way the, the kitchen is set up and everything is brigade style, so you can watch them cook. The way the kitchen crew works, like a well-oiled machine, almost like drones at time. And it's a little creepy. And there are parts of it that were really just kind of like too familiar uh, in, my, <clears throat> in my career life to be like, oh shit, this is, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> Um, but like I said, I, lo I loved it. I thought it was really good. It was really fun. The humor in it was dark, but not to the point of, of, um, disgust. I, I thought it was a really, really fun time. It was, it was like a brisk, not even two hours long, hour and a half, hour and 45, if that. Really fun film that I thoroughly enjoyed. So if you'd like a quick little thriller that's not overly... Overly long, overly gory, because it's really not. The, there is violence in it. There is blood in it. However, it is never 
to be gratuitous, but at points it is shocking. Shocking to the point of, its, of the realism. Not shocking to be scary, shocking to make a point. And there's a difference, I think, between in, in that style, when it, especially when it comes to horror. And that's one of the things I loved about it, is that every time there was a violent act, there was a point to it. Um, it was never just to be violent. So, the menu. Uh, if you would like to go see the menu, you might be able to find it still. If not, it should be coming up on streaming as well. Um, so, please, please go see that. Uh, entry that actually just popped into my head <laughs> that I completely forgot about because it's just coming out tomorrow on Netflix is Glass Onion, a Knives Out story. Now, if you went and saw Knives Out in theater, you know what a fun show it is um, with Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Max von Sydow. Um, this is a... You could call it a sequel, but really it's not because it's not a continuation from that film. It's simply taking the, um, the Monsieur Blanc character from Knives Out and just simply putting him into another story. It's, it's like a, a Sherlock Holmesian uh, murder mystery, but with great humor. The cast is wonderful. You have Catherine Hahn, uh, Dave Bautista, uh, oh fuck, what's her name? The one I like. Jessica Henwick. Edward Norton, it's, it's really fun. It's really like, if you like a good kind of whodunit type thing and why, it's a movie, it's that, it's that movie. So if that's the type of film you like, I definitely recommend going to see, or you don't have to go see it now, actually it's not in theaters anymore. It was only out for like a week or so, maybe two weeks. Uh, Somebody to qualify for Oscar contention. But it will be available on Netflix. Uh, tonight's the 22nd, so it should be available at midnight the 23rd. Stream it on Netflix. That's why I will say watch at home because obviously you can't see in theaters. It's theatrical run is done. It was intentionally done. It came out on Thanksgiving weekend for a special engagement. That's when I went and saw it. Totally worth it. Totally, totally, totally fucking worth it. Such a great film. Um, It's a little madcap. It's funny. It's suspenseful at points. And that's what makes it so good. Daniel Craig as uh, Blanc is great. It really, I think, will become his next best well-known role outside of the Bond franchise that he's done. And it's a nice step away from Bond because it's a character who is not uh, invulnerable. He is human. He's a very smart man, but that he's still a man. And, he, and Craig plays him that way. Uh, having Edward Norton in there, Dave Bautista is really kind of stepping up as an actor outside of Guardians of the Galaxy and some of the rougher tumble action films he's done. Um, my favorite, I think, of his outside of those types of films is probably still Blade Runner. Um, if you haven't seen him Blade Runner 2049, he's really fun in that. He's only got one sequence, one scene in there, but it's really good. <clears throat> the last film I want to talk about is one that I saw recently um, because it is very... Uh, personal. Um, I went and saw The Fablemans. Now, The Fablemans is a semi-autobiographical film about Steven Spielberg. Now, if you listen to this podcast for any length of time on any platform, be it here on Apple, Spotify, wherever, or on YouTube, when we had our YouTube channel, you know that I love Steven Spielberg. I love his films. I love his imagination. I love the way he talks to his audience, the way he 
he loves his audience. Um, he's the reason I love film. Um, I've said it before, I'll say it again. When I saw Jurassic Park, when I was six years old in the theater, that is when I fell in love with movies. Uh, not just movies for the sake of them being movies, but how a movie was made. I already loved film. Uh, my mom had always taken us to the movies. We'd rent them on Friday nights. We'd go to the library and then go to Blockbuster and rent movies and rent books and have those for the weekend. That was kind of our weekend thing. But at six years old, she knew how much I loved dinosaurs. And <clears throat> obviously Land Before Time had come out before, so I'd already known about dinosaurs. And I had seen previews for Jurassic Park, and I knew I wanted to see it. And it looked big and scary and fun. I even went so far as to read the book uh, by Michael Crichton in the early 90s. I didn't understand half of it, but I read it. It was a big accomplishment for me because it was over 300 pages. And I still read it every now and then. I still have the same copy of it uh, from then, from when I was six. Um, and going to see Jurassic Park, it's the one movie I've seen the most of my life in a theater. I've seen it a grand total of 14 times. And from there, I made it my quest to see anything and everything Spielberg has done. And while I still have not seen everything, I've worked my way through his filmography as best I can. Also that same year, I went and saw Schindler's List in the theater. I saw that again recently, a couple years back for its anniversary in theater. So fucking worth it. So again, The Fablemans is a semi-autobiographical film about the childhood of Steven Spielberg, about the first time he saw a movie about the impact it had on him, and also about the, the um, bitter secret in his family that led to their, their breaking, and the way he tells story. Um, the Feldmans starts out in the 1950s with him seeing his first movie, The Greatest Show on Earth, which was an Oscar winner for Best Picture. Um, and the impact that film had on him, specifically the train crash. Uh, if you've seen that film, you know what I'm talking about. And his idea, his nightmare from it, and his need to control it, leading him into his love of film. Uh, the film covers him from about 8 to 18 years old, and starting out making home movies, school projects, and even then just making films with his friends before his Boy Scouts, and even as a way to just cope with bullying. Um, if you've seen the biography or the documentary on HBO, somebody tells Spielberg, a lot of what's in the documentary is in this film. The film is totally worth it. Michelle Williams playing his mother, Mitzi, Paul Dano playing his father, Bert. They are different names as to what his actual parents' names were. And you also have Seth, Seth Rogen as the character of Uncle Benny. It's finally nice to see Seth Rogen playing a character who looks who's in the age that Seth Rogen has always looked. Seth Rogen has always looked like the older guy, and he finally is playing the older guy, which is nice, and it feels almost seamless. It, it fits perfectly for him. The Fablemans hit me in the first 10 or so minutes, kind of like Black Panther, but for different reasons. Not because I love the character, but because I love this man. And I understood so much of this film in several ways, in the ways of feeling bullied, in the ways of loving film, in the ways of not always being able to make friends and finding a different way to connect to people and then how to talk to people and in the way your dreams and your imagination can carry you and how that need to control and how you look at life even 
you try to look at life through a lens because that's what protects you from the pain. And the lens, the camera never lies. And the camera reveals so much truth, not only about what's going on around you, but about yourself. And that's what made it really impactful to me. Um, I, yes, I did cry several times through this movie. It celebrates his Jewishness. It celebrates creativity. It celebrates love of art. And it all celebrates understanding and loss. And that feeling that it's okay to feel broken. It's okay. Um, the dynamic between the parents, especially between Paul Dano and Michelle Williams, perfect. They play the role so wonderfully, so seamlessly that it, it's, it's not an issue. They almost look the same age as the boy <laughs> playing their son, but you, you feel the age difference, you feel the wisdom of the years in their characters. Um, if you know anything about John Ford, about Steven Spielberg, you know they've met. Um, early in life, before Spielberg ever became a big director, he met John Ford. And Ford asked him about art in his office, asked him to look at two photos and tell him what made them interesting. What about him? And it's a whole little excerpt towards the end of the film. Now I tell you that because prior to that sequence, that scene with John Ford and young Spielberg, Spielberg walks into the office to, and the secretary is there. And God damn it if I did not cry because the lady playing the secretary looked exactly like my grandmother. My grandma was a little Jewish woman, Polish Jew, uh, in Ohio. And I remember her face distinctly because I took care of her the last couple years of her life. <clears throat> Not because no one else would, but simply because I was home a lot during the day after work and I would make her lunch and whatnot. And um, she would give me money to go to the grocery store to get things like bakery and pastries that she wanted. Um, so her face is very distinct in my mind. So when Stephen, young Sammy, I should say, because the character's name is Sammy Feldman, <clears throat> Fableman, sorry. When Sammy walks in the office and meets uh, Mr. Ford's secretary, she looked just like my grandma. And I looked at my friend sitting next to me, and I said, oh my God. And she's like, what? And I said, that looks just like my grandma. And I burst into tears. I just started shaking, shuddering with every memory I have of her all at once. You ever have something just hit you all at once, an emotion, and... You can't help but just feel it reverberate through your body. That's what happened to me in a movie theater. <laughs> and I knew this was near the end of the film. I had a, I, you could feel it. I knew this was near the end of the movie, and I'm just shake, in there, shaking, shuddering, crying, trying not to just bawl my eyes out and call out my grandma's name because it was so powerful to see someone's face that looks so much like her that it broke my heart all over again and made me feel her loss. And I don't tell this to make you feel sad, or to, to, to bum you out. I know you're listening to a show. It's kind of fun, casual, la-di-da. Um, <clears throat> but I say that because, well, that's what film does. Film is emotion. Film should make you feel something. And believe me, the Fablemans made me feel a lot of things. It made me feel hopeful. It made me feel joy. It made me feel sad. It made me feel broken. It made me feel... Um, celebratory. It was all those things. And I loved it. So I would recommend, if you have not seen it yet, while it's still in theaters, because there's only a few shows probably left until it goes to VOD and then Blu-ray, DVD, digital, <clears throat> go see The Fablements in theater. You will not regret it. It's completely worth seeing, and there's a nice <laughs> nod homage to John Ford in the last shot. Um, you'll see it, because it's fairly obvious, but Rightfully so. Um, 
So, as I said, I've seen just a few movies in the last month or two. I wanted to come in and share them with you, tell you my thoughts on some of them, and hopefully encourage you, please, please, go to the movies. Don't, don't just wait for shit to come to streaming. Don't just sit at home, wait for it to come to your couch and to your TV or to your phone. Please, for God's sakes, please do not watch a movie for the first time on your fucking phone. That's not how these are designed for or what they're made for. Your phone is for communication. Your television, your projector screen, that is made for entertainment. That is made for feeling. That is made for life and for escapism. That whole little intro at the beginning of movies that you get now with, um, with Nicole Kidman, I feel that every time. It hits me every single time. I go to a theater, I feel the emotions of what they're said. And it's true. I, I, watching the Fablemans, I did feel heartbroken. And it felt good. It felt okay. It felt right. And it's okay to feel that in the dark with a bunch of strangers. That's the best part about a movie. Is to be able to sit there in the dark with a couple strangers and know that you're all sharing something together. So, <clears throat> as I said, please go to the movies. There's a lot of stuff out. Avatar The Way of Water, I've heard, is very, very good. I have not seen it yet, but hopefully I do. And when I do, hopefully you'll know too. Because I love sharing shit with you guys. Even if, you know, we never met or we never talk. That's okay. So, I would like to leave you now with that. Go to the movies, go to your Netflix account, watch Glass Onion. It's totally worth it, believe me. You'll thank me. Uh, if not, you can say fuck you. That's fine. Leave in the comments or um, find us on Instagram at Cinnamon. Leave comments, questions. Please, if you like this show, like, share, and subscribe us. We can always use the new listeners. I would love new listeners. I love to hear people's opinions. Um, if you don't like it, tell me why. Tell me what you need to change. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell, I mean, I used to do commentary tracks. And I haven't had my friends with me to be able to sit down and do those. Um, but I would love to get back into those because those are a lot of fun. If you like commentary tracks, if you want to do a commentary track, hit me up. You got a suggestion? You got a thought? You got, hey, here's how you make it better? Let me know. I want to make this better. This is for you. I do this because it's therapeutic for me. But I do it also to entertain you and so you can feel heard. And I want you to enjoy what you're hearing. If you don't like what you're hearing, don't listen to it. Or make a change. That's the nice thing about today. You have a voice. That's your currency. Use your voice to make that change. Even if it changes something as small as a podcast you listen to that you want to make more for compatible to your taste and your likes, that's fine. It may not always work, but at least it's worth trying. You miss 100% of the shots that you never take. Walter Gretzky. Don't correct me and say Wayne Gretzky because his father, Walter, said it first. All right, folks. <clears throat> Until next time, <coughs> I'll see you at the concession stands.